Always something good, Noe. <clears throat> you know, I love how God does stuff. Do you guys like how God does stuff in your life? Yes. Oh, don't lie. I know some of you said yes. Some of you said, I don't know that I really like how God does stuff in my life. <clears throat> you know, it is uh, It's kind of cool when God brings things together. So we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 6 again. Verses 1 through 8, because uh, God showed me something, and so I could just keep it to myself, I guess, but that wouldn't make any sense. So <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rehash that which we already worked our way through. And one of the things I, I want to encourage us in, you know, everything that, uh, that Izzy put together for worship today is so important, and hopefully you can see how that all comes together, because so often what's the case is we want... We want an, uh, an emotional commitment. We want an emotional experience. We want an emotional reaction. But they, those never last. You know, we feel good. Sometimes we'll feel good all the way through Sunday morning. Maybe it'll bleed all the way to Tuesday. But then we just run out of juice. And I think one of the things that God has for us in Hebrews chapter 6 is the idea that... Uh, that there are some issues we've got to address in our life if we want to experience, I think, what God really intended for us. So those of us who were together in Israel, we went to some incredible places. We sat on steps, not steps that maybe Jesus walked on, steps he taught from. We sat in the prison he was held in. We knelt on a floor where he bled, the, not a floor like it, the floor. We have all of these things, experiencing all those things around us. And how many of us have asked the question, why? Why today? Why does it seem like there's this lack of power in the church? Why does it seem like there's this lack of reality? There's this superficial uh, religion. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's really what God had in mind for us. And, you know, I was planning on going to the second half of Hebrews chapter 6, and <coughs> man, I, for whatever reason, I don't know, God does his thing, you know, and, and uh, he led me a different way, and he showed me some things, which led me to other things, which, which um, uh, basically, I'm going to redo the first part of Hebrews chapter 6, and talk about what God has shown me, and hopefully, you can see it, because it's, uh, it's incredible, how it all goes together. And one of the things I want to challenge you in, and a great opportunity for us to hold on to the concept, question everything. How much? Everything. Why, are, why is our nation where it's at today? We have no concept of critical thinking. We can't think our way through problems. And if something disappointing happens in our life, we need a safe room to go lay down in. Or we need... Uh, Somebody to comfort us. Or we need to make sure, right, that everybody gets a trophy. But last I checked, when my kids were growing up, when we played Monopoly, what happened? Somebody lost. Right? All of that is part of being able to grow and learn. And, <clears throat> and I've shared with all the different... Well, I mean, we're really blessed here. I don't know if you guys know. We're, we're, our body is so blessed. We've got a lot of <clears throat> incredibly gifted and godly men. And women who are a part of things. You know, last week the, the plan for who was going to teach doesn't happen. And God, through his orchestration, uh, equips and enables Jared to share. Wasn't the plan, but God had his plan. And, you know, we make plans and God laughs. And he gets ultimately what he wants. But thank God we have somebody who can do that, right? Amen. Otherwise, we just sit around and stare at each other and... Wonder what is wrong with the preacher? He didn't have this all worked out, right? And then, you know, we have this this incredible gift of guys. They come together for discipleship. One of the things I tell them is, I'm not looking for, and I hope you're not looking for, a bunch of people who just agree with you. I want people who are going to question me, who wanna who want to say, oh, I don't know if I buy that. Why? Because it makes me stronger. Where do you grow? We grow in conflict. You don't grow in in uh, uh, calm waters. In calm waters, you relax. Yeah? I look forward to some relaxing. 
But I don't know about you, I still need to grow. So in order for me to grow, then there's got to be conflict. In conflict, we grow. We want to be able to question things. We want to be, <coughs> we want to be like Bereans, right? Let's think about it. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. We'll take a look at it. It says this. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into a Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So there's something special about these guys, right? They received the word with all eagerness. So they're excited to hear about the word of God. What's the next part? Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul and Silas are sharing, hey man, let me tell you about Jesus. He's the Messiah. The, all the things we sang today, that, that it's his blood that sets us free, right? That he loves us, that he's there for us, that he came to rescue us. All those things are true, right? So they receive the word with all eagerness. <clears throat> but they daily search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And here's the challenge for us. Uh, um, there's a, a group here at the church uh, called Living by the Book. How many of you guys are doing that? We've got a few, right? Living by the Book is a, it's a great study. What's the purpose of the study? teaches you how to study the Bible. And one of the things we have to understand when we study the Bible is this. Biblical theology trumps systematic theology. What in the world is Jackie talking about? Okay. <clears throat> Biblical theology, what the Bible teaches, trumps your system. I don't know what your system is. It doesn't matter. we got a lot of titles by which we call one another, right? There's a lot of titles people throw around. Some of them you've heard. Calvinist, Armenian, Pentecostal. Are you with me? we got lots of titles, lots of systems, lots of ideals about all these things. But it's not the system that's important. What's important? What's the Bible say? And if we get it the other way, if we flip it, no, he's excited today. If we flip it and we get our system in front, our system will start to dictate what the Bible says. And we don't want that to happen. And a couple weeks ago, I think my system is in the way. And this week, my system's not in the way. So I want to talk about what's the Bible teach. What's it just saying? What's it, what's it laying out for us? I want you to see it. I want to know what the Bible says. How do we know what the Bible says? One of the things we discussed in Living by the Book is this. you got to read the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over. I told Jason <clears throat> when he asked me about how I study, I said at least 50 times before I open up anything else. Read the text, read the text, read the text, reread the text, read it again. Slow down, read it again. Slow down some more, read it again. We've got to read it over and over and slower and slower from larger to smaller. So that we can keep with context as we're working our way through what the Bible says. And then our, our, my personal favorite, <coughs> you got to use all those things you said you were never going to need. Remember when you were in school? What am I in this dumb English class for? This is stupid. I'm never going to... Do you ever say that? Did some of you say it last week? Maybe. <clears throat> I'm never going to use this dumb stuff. Or mathematics or anything else. Now let me tell you the reality. Our nation's in the place where our nation is because we are slothful, lazy, dull of hearing, and unwilling to do the work necessary to understand the things that are going on around us. And we want to be spoon-fed. And I don't care what side you're on. Be a Democrat, you're spoon-fed by CNN. Be a Republican, you're spoon-fed by Fox. I don't care. The reality is you're spoon-fed on both sides, and neither side is thinking for themselves. They're not working through the problems that are going on around us. And we're seeing the effect of that reality socially in our nation now. And, and, and that's going to continue, you know, until the Lord returns or we get our act together. And prayerfully, that's something that the church is going to do. The church is going to wake up in this time. And the church is going to say, you know, I'm not going to be lazy no more. And the church is going to say, I want to hear the warning that Jesus is laying out for us in His Word. And I want to apply that in my life. And I want to experience really what God has for me in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the, the reality is we all want it. I don't care what your system is. 
It doesn't matter. Baptocostal, Pentabaptist, it doesn't make any difference. We're all some mix or, or, or mesh up of something else, right? But it's not our system that matters. What's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? And then, and then here's the big key. And then saying, I'm going to be obedient to what the Bible is asking of me. And therein lies our challenge. So let's look at Hebrews <coughs> chapter 6. We'll just read it all together. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again into repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop is useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, and it receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray you open up your word to us. God, that we, without presupposition, would come to your word and allow your word to define our system. And then, Lord God, that we would be men and women of the book willing to say, I want the book to change my life. I want my life to to conform to what the word of God is calling and, and directing me to. And in and through it all, God, that you would be glorified and you would be magnified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we begin, verse 1, we talked about this the last time, it starts with the word, therefore, right? You guys have heard me say before, if it starts with therefore, what do we got to do? We got to find out what it's there for, okay? It's a way for us to remember a concept. The word therefore tells us there's a continuation of thought that has grown from a previous concept that has been discussed. So he lays out an argument and he says, therefore, we got to know what that argument was so we can rightly divide the Word of God. Does the Bible call us to do that? Right, we're supposed to be good students, right, who will rightfully, rightly divide the Word of truth. And we want to allow the Word of truth to be divided. So I want to see, what was the previous concept? So we just roll back, you just turn the page in your Bible, we got Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. discussing a concept, right? there, It says, being designated by God, speaking of Jesus Christ, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he says, about this we have a lot to say, and it's hard to explain. What's that tell us? A difficult concept, right? The writer of Hebrews is saying, man, we're getting into some difficult concepts, and you've got to have your brain engaged, yeah? It's not, it's not all about entertainment. It's not all about feeling. It requires something of us. Requires us to engage our minds. It requires, it, it, it requires us to engage what's going on. Why does he say it's hard to explain? Because you have become dull of hearing. That word dull also means slothful. It also means lazy. Same exact word uh, described in those ways throughout Scripture. So, here's the problem. <clears throat> the problem is, Jesus Christ is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews wants to tell us a lot about that. In fact... It's going to be one of the premier uh, uh, concepts throughout the book of Hebrews. But he says, before I get into that, it's hard for me to explain it to you because you become dull of hearing. Because you disengaged mind. You, you laid down the concept of critical thinking. <coughs> to be honest, we just want somebody to tell us what it means. And, and let me go on about my week. And, and we want to allow the Word of God to change. Get inside of us. Get inside of us. So think about this idea, the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Turn back in your Bible again. Go to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. There's the word therefore again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest 
of our confession. That word consider means think deeply about the reality that Jesus Christ is our apostle, the one sent to us. We sang all about it today. He's sent to us, and what else? He is our high priest. Consider deeply. Really grapple with it. Comprehend what it is that Jesus has done for us. Sometimes when people will say, well, it's easy. And I'll even say, we want to keep the main thing the main thing. We want to stay focused on Jesus. But if you think that concept is easy, you're fooling yourself. What is easy about God becoming man? That don't melt your noodle? It, it melts mine just trying to comprehend what, is it, what does it take for that to occur. Right? It, what, what are the things? <clears throat> so there's some deep concepts we want to be able to dig into. We want to be able to understand. And so he says in Hebrews 3.1, remember he told us, what's the issue of therefore, the therefore of chapter 6? Because I got a lot to tell you about our high priest, Jesus Christ, who is in the order of Melchizedek. But, but you're having a hard time hearing it. In chapter 3, he says, man, you really want to think deeply about Jesus Christ as our high priest and who he is. We want to give attention and intense thought to this idea. Well, let's back up and think about it. What happened in chapter 1? Hebrews chapter 1. What did it say? Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme over everything. Alright, we carry that idea to chapter 2. What's chapter 2 say? Jesus is superior to everything, so don't neglect your great salvation. Don't neglect the blood that was shed for you. Don't neglect the fact that He came to rescue you. Don't neglect the idea that He loves you. You with me? Don't neglect the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And how do we neglect it? By losing our anchor. By drifting away. By becoming hard-hearted. Ultimately, by not progressing. You see, if we stop moving forward, then we're falling behind. We're not progressing. Chapter 3, he says, well then, consider Jesus. <coughs> He's the apostle and our high priest. Hold fast our confidence. Hold fast your confidence in Jesus Christ. And he said, how do we hold fast our confidence in Jesus Christ? By maturing. By progressing. By growing in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. Moving forward with Him. Growing with Him. Understanding we want to progress. And then He gives us a warning. Don't harden your hearts like they did in Kadesh Barnea. And that's going to be an important concept for us to hold on to. What do you mean? In Kadesh Barnea, the people had seen God every day. They saw the cloud. They saw the pillar of fire. They ate from Him every day. And manna that fell from heaven. They drank from Him. When Moses would speak to the rock and, and water came from the rock to, or smite the rock, when water came from the rock and the, and the people were watered. All of those things they experienced every single day. They have all these blessings of God around them. Every single day they come to Kadesh Barnea. They stand there on the border of the promised land. They look into all that God has for them and they didn't believe Him. They wouldn't progress. They stopped. And that's as far as their relationship with God ever went. It stopped. And the warning from the writer of Hebrews is, don't be like them. Don't come right up to all that God has for you and stop and refuse to progress because you don't want to grow, because you don't want to understand, because you don't want to sink down into the deep things that God has for you. His call for us is a call to desire to grow, to understand what that God has given us. Rest in Him. What did He say in chapter 4 of Hebrews? There is a rest for us through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. The rest. He compared that rest to entering the land. Didn't He? He compared the rest into entering the land. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, <coughs> Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. He's calling us to go on. To keep going. And the warning He's given us in Hebrews all the way through the book, all the way to chapter 6, the warning has been, don't be like those guys who wouldn't come. Don't be like those guys who wouldn't grow. Don't be like the ones who came all the way to the edge. And that's as far as they went. His call is to keep on maturing, to keep on growing. Look what he says. Therefore, let us leave, Hebrews 6.1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let's cross. Let's grow up. Let's stop being lazy. Let's engage. He's calling us to move forward. Go on. Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. The elementary doctrine of Christ. He wants us to go away from that and to continue maturing. To what? In, in, in uh, Hebrews 5, 10 and 11, he said, you should be teachers by now, but you're not a teacher. How come you're not a teacher? Because you haven't used the things that God has for you. You haven't used them. It says in Hebrews five fourteen. but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained, how? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. That means a continuation of growth, of comprehending, of pouring yourself out in to receive all that God has for you. Look, the Bible describes the bread from heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We stood in a synagogue where he said those words. We stood in a place where Jesus, before all these people, told them, I'm the bread of life. I'm manna. I'm the word of God. I'm the things that you need to sustain your faith. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. To get the word of God in. To make it a part of us. Jesus says, that's me. I am the bread of life. He says, in order to mature, we need to have a constant use. Constant use of applying God's Word. Constant use of giving ourselves to Him. So He calls us to go on to maturity. You see, growth takes us to new places. Go back to the children of Israel. Growth takes us to new places. They were in the wilderness and God brought them right up to the promised land. But what happened? They couldn't go to new places. Why? They didn't want to grow. It's good enough. Good enough is the enemy of great. It's good enough. This is all I need. I got my ticket punched. This is good. And so what happens? They stayed there. They stayed in that place. <clears throat> Hebrews 6.1 Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Let us go on. We want to grow. We want to understand all these things that God has for us. So what's He telling us? We want to move across. We want to enter into the land. And entering into the land means not only do we understand those foundational things, but we keep going. We keep going beyond the foundational issues. Let's think about it. What's the details of the foundation? We have a commitment to God that covers our past. What do I mean? What covers our past? Repentance from dead works or works that lead to death. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. So what are works that lead to death? Sin. So we have repentance from dead works. Turning away from that. In fact, he gives us that idea. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, works that lead to death, to do what? To serve the living God. He's talking about salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. We just sang a song. You remember it? 
we, we clapped, we were moved, right? We were moved where our spirits are, are uh, ignited by the concept. Because our spirits are saying, I want that, I want more of that. But Jesus, when He looked at His disciples, He said, you know, indeed, the, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak, yes. That's what this warning passage is about. we got the commitment to the past. Repenting from dead works. How do we get saved? We repent of our sin, and we have faith toward God. Repentance of dead works, and faith toward God. That's a commitment to God. <coughs> and then... The next four kind of fall in line. Our commitment to God are encapsulated in these next four. The celebration of our commitment. The things of the present. The word is instruction. That word instruction applies to the rest of them. So it's an instruction of washings. Instruction of laying on of hands. Instruction of the resurrection of the dead. Instruction of judgment. These are all things that we grow and understand when we become a Christian. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we grow in these areas. We understand baptisms. We understand what God's laying out with the laying on of hands, of, of, of experiencing the things that the Holy Spirit has for us, or being raised up in, uh, in leadership. We understand that there's a resurrection of the dead. That speaks of our future, right? In the present, we learn about washings. We learn about the laying on of hands. In our future, we know about the resurrection of the dead and judgment. That those things are going to happen. Those are the foundational principles. So he begins with the concept. He said in verse 1, I just don't want you to miss it. He says, here's what we want to do. We want to move forward. Go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. He describes the foundational principles. And then he says in verse 3, which is a key area. And this we will do if God permits. What does this? <coughs> That's right. Go on to maturity. We'll do that if God permits. We'll do that if God permits. The this, the antecedent of the word this, is to go on to maturity. That's what he's referring to. That's what he's talking about. The question is... Whether God will permit. And that is the key to moving forward in verses 4 through 6. Will God permit us to go on to maturity? That's the statement we want to hold on to when we look at the next phrase. Right? We want to allow the Word of God to speak to us. We want to look at it carefully. We want to understand it. So he says in verse 4, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. When we come to this section, this section is so important to the rest of the book of Hebrews, we back up and we look at it again. And we want to be able to explain it and understand it. But you know, there's no way for me to do this in a neat, tidy way. Where you really get it. So you get the ugly part. Alright? So when you, get, when you start getting them crazy eyes, the glassiness starts to come into your eyes. And you think, what in the world is he talking about? Just remember that God is calling us not to have dull hearing. Not to be lazy in our understanding or slothful in our willingness to allow the Word of God to speak to us. Unless our example is we want to be those who died in the wilderness. And not those who cross over through growth into all that God has for us. Look what he says. So we're going to exegete it. Exegete is a fancy word, but I don't know a different way to say it. We're going to exegete. That means we're going to take it apart. We're going to take apart all the pieces and we're going to let it say what it's saying. And then we're going to make interpretation based on what we did when we took it apart. Are you with me so far? Oh, I don't know. So we're going to take it apart like a car. Your car breaks. What do you got to do? Take it apart. When you take it apart, when you take it apart, you figure out what's broke, you fix it. Right? We're going to do the same thing. We're going to take apart. We're going to take apart the sentence. These three verses are all one sentence in the Greek. They're all one sentence, and they're dealing with what does it mean to go on to maturity? 
What does it mean when we say, this will happen if God permits it? This we will do. We will go on to maturity if God permits. What do you mean, if God permits? And the very next phrase, he says, for. That word for is Hebrew, or the Greek word gar, which means <clears throat> because. Because. This we will do. We will go on to maturity if God permits. Because. And then he gives us this section. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. So <clears throat> he's telling us about an issue that we want to hear. So that we can grow. So let's do it. First thing we got to do is a thing that I couldn't stand in school. We got to look at the grammar. Oh. (laughs) Got to look at the grammar. What do you mean? You know, I keep talking about our nation being kind of messed up. You guys ever read Obamacare? You happen to know how many pages it is? Did anybody. In all of Congress, read it. Did anybody pay attention to how he said what he said? Or to what they were paying for? And now what do we have? A big problem. Yeah? Got a big problem. Why? Because we're lazy. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I go through and it, something on the computer pops up and says, Do you agree with blah, blah, blah? It could say anything. I just look for the box that says, Accept. <coughs> Right? I click accept. I'll take it. Whatever. Who? I have no idea what I've accepted. No concept. And I'll and I'll I will tell you the reason I did because I'm lazy. I don't want to read the whole thing. But that's not how I want to treat the Word of God. The one who bled for me and died for me and cleansed me of my sin. I want to take the time to understand it. So here, let me lay it out for you. The theme of this section, which begins in chapter 5, verse 11, is the necessity of going on to maturity. That's the theme. We want to understand context. That's the theme. To restore them again to repentance is the subject. You never thought this was going to happen to you, did you? It is impossible is the predicate. Now, what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. Okay, the subject is who or what the sentence is about. So who or what is the sentence about? The sentence is about restoring them again to repentance. To restore them again to repentance. That's what this is about. And what's the predicate? The predicate is that which tells us what's the subject doing. And the predicate is, is it is impossible But so far it's not looking so good. The main clause of the entire three verse sentence reads, It is impossible to restore them again to repentance. The middle part we talked about before, five participles. We're going to look at that in a minute. But the main part of the sentence, just to take all the, the frills off of it, the main part of the sentence reads, the main clause, It is impossible to restore them again to repentance. So the question then is, Who are you talking about? Do you don't think that's kind of important? I'd kind of like to know if if I happen to be in that who. Wouldn't you? I definitely don't want to be in the impossible category. So I want to... Who is he talking about? What is being laid out for us here? Who is he referring to? Or ask it another way. What is the direct object to the infinitive anakinetsin? What? What is the direct object of the phrase to restore them to repentance? Who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Who's he pointing to? Who's he pointing to? We want to understand it. Who's he pointing to? Well, let me tell you. He's pointing to five substantive participle phrases. What does that mean? <coughs> He's pointing to these five sections. Having once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away. That's the who. Who Who's he saying it is impossible to renew them to repentance? Who are the who? The who are those five phrases. Okay? The who is the five phrases. We want to understand those five phrases. Those five phrases are important. Now, 
I'll try to save you a little bit of the grammar, but I want you to get to this point, what is it stating? It is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gifts, so on and so on and so on, and who have fallen away. That's what he's saying. Straight English. Haven't done nothing tricky yet. We're just diving into it. We want to understand it, right? We want to get the the picture. So the next thing I come to is the word once. And the word once kind of blew my my melon when I come to the word once. The word for once is the word hapax. Hapax. It's not even a hard one. It's not even difficult. You know what it means? Once for all. Wow. You're kidding me. No. Really. You can look it up just as easy as I did. Once for all. So what does it mean? It's an act that has taken place. It cannot be repeated. (coughs) So the most natural reading of these five participles would make us think he's talking about a believer. What do you mean? Well, let's look at them again. Just so we can remember. Those who have once for all been enlightened. Those who have once for all tasted... Of the heavenly gift. Which that phrase. The heavenly gift by the way. Is an idiom for salvation. So those who once for all have tasted of salvation. Those who once for all have been enlightened. Those who once for all have shared in the Holy Spirit. Those who once for all have tasted the goodness of the word of God. And the powers of the age to come. Those who once for all have fallen away. That's the who. Who. Not Nothing tricky. Just reading it like we should be reading it with our minds turned on. Okay? This is what we're looking at. So, <clears throat> we see that. The most natural reading leads us to this reality. Well, if that's true, if that's the most natural reading, how come so many people don't read it that way? You remember what I started with? The Bible comes before your system. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible comes before your system. Let me give you the two easiest examples of system coming before the Bible. Calvinist uh, would say, once saved, always saved, so none of these people can be believers. Therefore, it's not talking about losing salvation. System before Bible. Let me give you another one. Really easy. The Armenian would say, it's all believers, and they're losing their salvation. Same deal. My system came before the Bible. What's the Bible say? The Bible should dictate my system. You with me? Now we all got, we talked about it earlier. (coughs) We all have titles by which we go. I don't care. Everybody in here. We got Reformed folks in here. We got Pentecostal folks in here. We got AG people in here. We got Calvary people who spent time in the tent. We got people from every possible walk of life. Methodists, Presbyterians. We're all here. And we have to be willing when we come to the Word of God to say, I'm not going to let my system dictate what the Bible says. I'm going to read the Bible for what the Bible says. I'm going to read it for what it says. And don't think you know where I'm going yet, because you might not. <clears throat> I'm not. I'm not always sure I know where I'm going to next. Okay, so we, they let their system come before. Now here's something that, that I had shared the last time we went through this, and I was actually shocked when I dove into study as God was kind of leading this thing, which was not my plan, by the way. But when God tells you, come here, then you just go. Is that okay with you guys? I don't know. I hope, I hope you say yes to him when he... The answer, no, Lord, is probably a bad way to start. <clears throat> so we want, to say, we want to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Last time I said, now what I want you to do when you look at it, look at the pronouns. Look at the pronouns. We've got a pronoun we, and we've got the pronoun they. And we see that they is talking about a different group of people. And that makes sense. Right? That makes perfect sense. Absolutely makes sense. And you want to make sure you pay attention to pronouns. As long as the pronouns are there. What do you mean, Jackie? Yeah, those pronouns aren't there. 
Yeah, they are. I just looked there right here in my Bible. It says those, they, them. Yeah, sorry. Not one of them is a third person pronoun. Not one. Not one. I was <clears throat> going through my Greek books and I keep going, well, there's got to be one of them in here. There's got to be one of them in here. They say they, they say them. It's got to be third person. I keep flipping through. <clears throat> Here's what it is. There are no third person pronouns in the Greek text of the passage. But they serve as a translation for the articular participle. What is the articular participle? What it literally says is, the ones being enlightened. The ones who have tasted. The ones who have fallen. The ones. The ones. The ones. And the reason that the author does that, the author does this because he wants you to understand. He wants you to recognize who it is that he's, uh, that he's talking to. He wants us to know, put our attention on what he's saying. He's saying, look, I, I'm trying to be impersonal. And he is. I'm trying to be impersonal. I'm not pointing at you guys like you've done this. I'm just giving you a warning. Here's the warning passage. Here's what the warning is about. The ones who fit these categories of the five participles and have fallen away. Those guys, it's impossible for them to renew themselves again to repentance. Now right now, some of your brains are going, oh, wow. What, what? So we can lose our salvation? I did not say that. <laughs> Don't get ahead of the teacher. That's how we get in trouble. Didn't I just say, slow down. Slow down. Let's take a look of the text. Let's take a look at what's going on. So we want to now put our attention, as we're working our way through this, we want to put our attention to this word. Parapacentus. Parapacentus is the word fallen away. What does that mean? Almost every one of our pericopes, you guys know what a pericope is? Pericope is a paragraph in your Bible that has a little heading on it that's not really in the Bible, but it tells you what that's about. You guys, is your Bible's like in sections, got little paragraphs? Like it might say, teaching on apostasy. But it's not very helpful because the word apostasy is not in here. What? Yeah, that's a, that's a conclusion we're making based on our system. and Not paying attention to what the Bible says. What do you mean? It says those who have once for all fallen away. What, what else can that mean? Well, it can mean that God brought you to Kedish Barnea and He said, come on, let's go. And you said, no. We do an in-depth word study on this word for fallen away. And when you look at it, it, it <coughs> never... It never, I don't know how to make that more emphatic, never means apostasy. Not one time. And if you make it, make, if you make it mean apostasy, now apostasy means to fall away and deny Christ and leave your salvation. Okay, if you make it mean that, it'll be the only time in not only all the Bible, but all Greek literature in the known world when that word has ever been used that way. I would say that's, that's probably a bad plan what if we just let the word mean what it means would that be okay that'd be okay right so always denotes sin it never denotes apostasy in the old testament always denotes transgression never denotes apostasy okay keep that in your mind okay we're working our way through the nuts and bolts what about the word impossible? Maybe that doesn't mean impossible. It means impossible. But it's not even complicated. It, it just means what it says. It's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because God won't permit it. Keep it. Just let it bounce around your head for a minute. We're still looking at the nuts and bolts. And i got to hurry. What about renewed repentance? To be renewed again to repentance, right? That was, that was, 
the, 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 the subject as we're looking at it. What about that? I just want you to think about it for a minute, because I can't believe I didn't see it. Why would an unsaved person need to renew repentance? Oh, because they probably wouldn't have any repentance if they're not saved. Oh, well, what if we use the other option, not renew? It also means restore. Restore. Why would they need to restore repentance if they're not saved? They just need to repent for the first time. They just need to repent in reality and come, to faith, come by faith to Jesus Christ. Okay, so these people he's talking about are those who, who are going to be restored. They're restoring their repentance. Remember in the beginning, he talked about the foundational parts. We're, we're going to take the foundational parts and move on, not forget about them. We're going to take them as a foundation and we're going to grow. We're going to take them as a foundation and keep moving forward with Christ. What were the first two? Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So I think it just continues to emphasize the fact that we're, that we're talking about a group of believers here. That the, that the readers he's talking about <coughs> are not unbelievers. And repentance is often associated with believers. How many times does God tell us our lives are supposed to be lives of repentance? How many times you got to ask for forgiveness? Yeah. Right? Anybody who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, their answer for how many times you have to ask for forgiveness should be every day. At least every day. Maybe a hundred times a day. Why? Because my life now is a life of repentance. Of repentance. Of turning away from all the garbage and turning toward Jesus Christ. Right? That's where we're going with. That's what we're moving to. Now here's what I want you to hold on to. The subject is repentance. It is Repentance that cannot be restored, not salvation. Say it again. It is repentance that cannot be restored, not salvation. If you make it salvation, you're reading into the text. You're not letting the text say what it says. It is repentance that cannot be restored. Immediately after, for... Immediately after, we have two participle clauses that follow. I'm going to tie it all together, I promise. Just hang on. What is the two participle clauses? Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm. First. Second, and holding Him up to contempt. So what's he talking about? The author says they are re-crucifying. They are disgracing the Son of God. Where? To themselves. To themselves. His focus is not on what happens publicly, although that could be a part of it because publicly people are seeing Christians all the time living out hypocritical, disobedient lives and they look at that and they think, what is the deal? Uh, they, they can see even as with David that we cause the world to blaspheme the name of Christ because of the way we live. But he's not necessarily talking about what's happening outwardly. He's talking about what's going on on the inside. The internal contradiction between the confession of commitment and the unwillingness to turn from our sin and follow Jesus. Then we become just like the unbeliever. Crucifying for ourselves the Lord Jesus Lifting him up to contempt. Look, all all sins dishonor Jesus. And persistent sin, metaphorically speaking, carries the stigma of having a Christian act like a non-Christian. Hence, crucifying to themselves the Son of God. Okay, trying to track with you, Jackie. Okay. In Hebrews chapter 3... Chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews started to give us an example of these things happening in the Old Testament. I brought it up several times. Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea. They saw all the power of God. They saw all the beauty of God. They saw all the things that God had. They were partakers in it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they were all baptized in the sea. They all crossed the Red Sea together, right? They all drank from the same rock. And that rock spiritually is Jesus Christ. 
They all ate from manna. They all had these experiences. But with most of them, God was not pleased. Didn't say most of them weren't saved. I said with most of them, God was not pleased. God was not pleased. Failure to progress from the foundational to the reality. From the understanding when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we fall to our knees and we say, God save me. And a failure then to turn around and hear the words of our Savior saying, come follow me. And as he goes on and as he leads us to say, I'm not going to go, I don't believe you no more. I don't believe, I, I, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Isn't that what they said at Kadesh Barnea? We can't do it. The enemy is too strong, it's too scary, it's too hard. They became dull of hearing. And they were stuck in the wilderness. Let me ask you this question. Were the souls of the men and women that perished in the wilderness eternally lost? The men and women who died, not entering to the promised land, were they lost? Instead of leading to our system, what should we lean to? Well, let's look at the Bible. Numbers 14, verse 20 to 23. Listen. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live and as all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice will see the land that I swore to give their fathers. None of those who despised me will see it. But how did it begin? What did God say about the people? I have pardoned. I have forgiven. I have forgiven. The wilderness generation did not lose their salvation because of apostasy, nor did they fail to gain salvation because they were not genuine believers. They were still part of Israel. What they lost due to their rebellion was the right to enter into the promised land, all that God had for them. Just just for a minute, think. Is the church experiencing today all that God has for them? And if she's not, why not? Is the church standing on the border of Kadesh Barnea saying, I won't follow you? Is the church standing at the border of Kadesh Barnea and saying, that, that thing in your word doesn't apply to me anymore. That thing in your word that says <clears throat> that, that I'm supposed to love my wife or I'm supposed to submit to my husband. Those, those things don't matter anymore. That thing in your word that says that I'm to bow my knee before the Lord Jesus in all things. He's the Lord. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't really apply in this area of my life or in that area of my life. Is that what the church is saying at Kadesh Barnea? And so the church is stuck in the wilderness? Not experiencing the things that God has for her? Well, when they repented, what happened? Or did they repent? Well, according to Numbers chapter 14, verse 39 and 40, they did repent. The people, Moses told the people, Hey, this is what God said, man. He's really bummed that all this stuff you did, and he's, He said he, he forgives you, but you're not going into the land. You're not going to go into the land, man. God's saying you can't go. <clears throat> Numbers 14.39 When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. They were sorry. You see it? The people mourned greatly. And they rose up early. And they went to the heights of the hill country. And they said, here we are. We'll go to the place that the Lord has promised. We have sinned. We're sorry. But they found no place for repentance. Because God would not permit it. You're going to read about that in a little while when we talk about Esau. Same thing. What do I mean? The people came to a point where God said, I'm not going to let you go further. I'm not going to let you pass this. I'm not going to let you go. God will not 
permit repentance and we won't enter the land. We won't have all that God has for us. That, is that not a description of the church today? Or do you think the church is moving in power? You think the church looks like it is in the book of Acts? No. <clears throat> you think those things are, are just God ran out of juice, He can't do it anymore? Or, or have we come to a place where we need to stop pointing our fingers at all the nonsense out there and realize the problem is us? And I don't know if we have reached the point where God says, that's it. That's as much as you get. But I hope we haven't. Because they sought repentance and they didn't get it. Did they go into the land? Nope. They did not enter into the land. Look, these verses underscore this idea that God forgave them of their sin, but He refused to allow them to enter the promised land. It was impossible to renew them to repentance because God had sworn in His wrath, you're not coming in. And while I was reading this, while I was, God was taking me on this journey, which I wasn't really enjoying, to be honest with you. And as He's showing me these things, and the pieces are starting to fall into place, and I go, my gosh, that means chapter 1 fits with chapter 2, with 3, with 4, with 5, with 6, and even this warning passage is still about the same thing. About being willing to enter into all that God has, to to God's perfect plan for, for our lives, and we're not entering in because of unbelief. We're not entering in because we love our sin. We're not entering in because we won't let it go. And we can sing the songs, and we can weep, and we can cry. But if we don't decide, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just done with being half in. Because that's where they were. The perfect description. This is where the children of Israel were. Okay, I'm done. Let me just <coughs> let me just give you this. So, what's the conclusion of this warning passage? Essentially, I want you to understand this. He's looking at Hebrews six four through six as genuine believers who have fallen in, uh, who have fallen away in some sense of willful disobedience to God. They did not commit apostasy in the traditional theological sense. They didn't turn away from Christ. They did not finally deny Christ. They do fail to press on to maturity. They do fail to grow in all that God has for them. So God brings judgment. The judgment that these believers incur does not involve the loss of salvation. It involves judgment. Judgment begins in the house of God. Their judgment could most accurately be designated as discipline, which involves both temporal, that means what we experience now, and eschatological, what we experience in the future. It has effects on both. Temporally, it involves a loss of opportunity to keep going. It involves the opportunity to be effective in the service for Christ in this life. It involves the loss of blessings for God that come from an obedient life. And in some cases, it may even involve premature death, physical death. Eschatologically, in terms of end times, when we stand before Jesus Christ, it involves the loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. It involves the loss of position, of leadership and service in the millennial kingdom. These are genuine believers who are in danger of forfeiting some of the new covenant blessings in this life as well as rewards in the life to come. So listen to the last two verses. Sorry we're over, but listen to the last two verses. For the land, just hear them, that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it was cultivated, receives a blessing from God. 
the land that is fruitful receives a blessing. Then he goes on. But if it bears thorns and thistles, the land that doesn't produce fruitfulness, but brings about not only unfruitfulness, but, but the opposite of fruitfulness. Okay, it's not just nothing grows on it, but the opposite. Weeds, thorns, thistles. Their life is, is full of these things that are, are not that which is used to describe fruitfulness in the Christian life. It is worthless and, what's the next phrase? Near to being cursed. Say it's cursed. Near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Okay, Jackie, if what you're saying is right, and we're talking about Christians, and they're not moving in, they're following the example of the Old Testament believers who didn't go into Kadesh Barnea, and didn't experience all that God has for them. If that's all true, then these last two verses got to make sense, and actually, the rest of them following it, I keep going, but it'll be tomorrow if I don't stop at some point. So, all of this fits. It all fits. Look, the last scripture I want to read you, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Eschatologically, in the end times, we're going to stand before Jesus one day. Yeah? We're going to stand before Jesus. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation... Other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundational principles, still the foundation. You with me? That's the bottom. we got to keep growing. <coughs> now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, each one's work will be clearly seen, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Listen. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Look at the last phrase. But only as through fire. We... Let the Word of God say what the Word of God is trying to say. Man, the pieces start to come together. And I look at the world, guys, and I, and I'm, I, I can't... How do we ever get here? We got here because we said, I just want people to spoon feed me. I don't want to go on. I don't want to personally grow. I don't want to personally understand. I, I think it's something that magically just happens, right? I just show up and then poof, poof. The fairy godmother waves her wand and I become all those things. And I don't realize that the word of God tells me over and over and over again to grow. Grow. Put the word in my life. Read the word. Let the word have authority in my life, not the other way around. And if we listen to what God's word is saying. He's not warning us that you're not saved. But he is warning us that you're going to have lack of fruitfulness in your life. You're going to have a lack of growth. You're going to have a lack of power. Because we want to stay in our sin. We want to stay in the wilderness. We want to stay in the desert. I stood, guys. I stood on the mountain where Moses stood. He stood on top of the mountain. And he looked into the promised land. And I stood on that place and I looked. That's as far as he could go. Why couldn't he go into the land? Because he sinned and God said, that's it. No more. How do we treat our sin? Do we treat our sin like like there's something that we could lose? Or do we treat our sin like, what's the big deal? Do we just crucify the Lord Jesus for ourselves over and over again? Do we just put him to an open shame? Or do we hear what the words of the songs are saying? And do we say, I want to go on. I want more. I pray that that's our heart. I pray that that's what we want. Because that is what God wants you to hear today. He wants you to hear it in worship. And He wants you to hear it in the Word. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray.
<coughs> Let's pray. Father God, as we just come before you this morning, as we <coughs> we look to you, God, I, I honestly, I don't know where any of us are in our own lives. And it's something that's really personal, God, because I think our Kadish Barnea personally can be, for each of us, a different place. And, God, I just pray that we would say, man, I, I, that's not who I want to be. I, I don't want to be like Esau, who, who wanted repentance, but God, you said, that's it. This far, no further. Or the people in the wilderness, who you forgave, you forgave them of their sins, but they never had all that you had for them, because they wouldn't follow you. God, I pray that we would be those who say, I'm going to follow you. I want to follow you so that the power of God would flow through His people here. And that the power of God would flow through us to the lost who are looking for something, but we're not showing it to them because of our hypocrisy. Because we continue to live in sin. We continue to look just like everybody else. We stand at the border and Jesus is waving to us, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. God, I pray today we would, we would say, ah, I want to follow you. The singing the words to the song is the easy part. The hard part is actually getting up and doing it. God, I pray that be our heart. I want to follow you. I want to go where you're leading. I, I recognize that you have rescued me. I recognize that your blood has cleansed me of my sin. And I'm saved. But I want all you have. Yes, thank you, I want the best that you have for us so that we can be affected. Because I got people in my family who aren't following Christ. And maybe the reality is... I've been a bad example. God, I pray that we would repent and believe and grow and want more and more and more until we have it all. That we would run the race with endurance, keeping our eyes fixed on you, Jesus Christ. That I want to try to get closer to you today than I was with you yesterday. That that would be my focus and my goal. So that you be glorified, God. So Lord, may your spirit work in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.